If you've been with us in Lent, you'll know that we've been uh, working through the Gospel of Luke together, making our way with Jesus towards Jerusalem, where he prepares to be crucified uh, and face his own suffering death for us. And we've seen that along the way, he's inciting this spiritual revolution in which he's transposing the values of the world and, and calling those who are great to recognize their, their, their need and calling those who are humble to recognize they are loved. Uh, and so this morning we have this beautiful story uh, that tells another picture of this revolution of Jesus. And our preacher this morning is Dr. Wesley Hill. Um, Wes is a professor of biblical studies at Trinity School for Ministry out near Pittsburgh. Um, he's the author of two of my very favorite books, Washed and Waiting and Spiritual Friendship. Uh, yesterday, Wes spoke at a forum that our church and three other churches sponsored called Traditional Sexuality, Radical Community, and it was just an outstanding set of lectures. I really encourage you to hear it. Um, we'll be posting it this week on our website. So I'm going I'm to read our story and then would invite you to welcome Wes. So hear God's word, friends. This is from Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it is given to each of you in love. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Family of God, this is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, it's an honor for me to be here at Third. This is my first time uh, here with you, and I'm already looking forward to when I can come back. You have been so warmly welcoming, and I, I deeply appreciate it. And it's, it's, a, it's a double honor to be able to join in your series on Luke. Uh, Luke, of all the four Gospels, is the one uh, I think most focused on Jesus' ministry to those on the margins, those who are, are overlooked by the rest of society. And, and we come today to one of the high points of the Gospel of Luke, one of the most famous parables about that merciful outreach of God to those who, who know their need for it and who know that they don't stand a chance of getting it. This story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which we just heard. And I think in order to feel the, the weight and the force of this, we need to update it a bit. Um, and I want to invite you as, as we go into this to try to just put to one side all the other stories you remember from the Gospels about the Pharisees and just focus on the character of this particular Pharisee here in this story. And I think you'll see when you, when you look at who he is and what he's done that he's a very decent, upright, moral person. He doesn't steal. He isn't coarse or crude or carousing. He, he stays sexually faithful to his wife. He doesn't cheat. 
but more than just that, more than just being a good guy, he's also devout. He's religious. Uh, he fasts in accord with his, his religious tradition. He, he gives money to the synagogue. Uh, he probably gives money to other charitable causes. He, he cares about justice. He cares about the flourishing uh, of, of the city. And perhaps most striking of all, he's aware, it seems, at least, at least judging by his actions, he's aware that this isn't simply his own doing. He goes into the temple to thank God for the good works that he's been able to do. So he's, he's acknowledging, at least, at least verbally, that there's, there's a theological reason he's able to do these things, and it's God's work on his behalf. So in order to, to picture a guy like this, I think, I think we need to imagine a churchgoer. We need to imagine one of us. We need to imagine someone who's a deacon, uh, someone who's maybe a coach of the, of the softball league uh, at church. We need to imagine a guy who, who shows up for the 6.30 a.m. men's Bible study, which is much earlier than I want to go to a men's Bible study, I'll be honest. Uh, he, 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 he's, he's involved. He's active. He's good. He's socially conscious. Uh, he, he, he cares about justice. Um, he gives his money away. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a man of integrity. He, he, when he goes on a business trip, he doesn't go out to the strip club with, the, with, with his colleagues. He, 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 when he has the opportunity to cheat on his taxes in a way that no one would see, he doesn't take that opportunity. He's someone that you can trust. He's a good person. Now, we need to do the same sort of thing with a tax collector. Tax collectors, remember, in Jesus' day, were Jews that were hired by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from their fellow Jews. Um, Jews were those who, who knew how to get all the money that Rome wanted. If the Romans tried to come in and, and get it, they might miss uh, some of the places that they needed to collect from. So they hired Jews to do it. Jews knew the culture. They knew the language. They could say, oh, yeah, that guy who lives uh, three houses down on that back alley, he actually owes such and such amount, and I can get that for you. And the Romans relied on them to do their dirty work, as it were. And these tax collectors would skim off the top. They would, they would charge more than they should in order to, to get rich off of their fellow Jews. So they were, they were schemers. They were shrewd uh, cheaters. And uh, the Romans were, were happy to employ these kind of people. So, so if we want to update this guy, we want to think of him in our, term, in our terms, let's picture someone who's, who's well-connected, someone who's, who's from your hometown. You, you've known this guy from childhood. You grew, went to school with him. And he, he, he went off to Washington and he 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 he, pro- he promised <laughs> he promised to be your man, and uh, you know he 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 comes back to town and and he um, he takes advantage of his new status. Um, he uses his his status and his his honor to sleep around. Um, he he he's the sort of guy when you know you used to be able to sit down for coffee with this guy and have a normal conversation, but now he's sort of half paying attention to you and half scanning the room for who the influencers are, who he could invite to his next boozy fundraising gala. Uh, and, and when you apply for a, for a permit downtown, he's the guy who's going to make sure you're charged more than you should be so that he can, he can make a fast buck off of it. Um, he's, he's, he's a schemer. He's, he's what we would call a, a sellout. Um, and Jesus invites us to picture both of these guys, the upstanding deacon, softball coach, men's Bible study attendee, and this, this backstabbing careerist. Both of these guys show up to the same Sunday service, and they walk in. And Jesus, the, 
the author of the parable tells us that only one of these two went home after the service in the right place before God. Now, I read that and I think, well, of course, only one went home justified. Isn't it obvious? It's the church guy. Of course. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, on the contrary, it's the tax collector who went home justified. It's this sleazeball. It's this fat cat. He went home innocent before God. No condemnation for him. While the Pharisee, the religious man, the moral man, the good man, the man of integrity, he went home not justified. Now, this is shocking. This is unexpected. Uh, People in Jesus' day hearing this parable would have been offended. And I hope you can feel uh, the weight of that. I hope you can feel why that would be the case. The right candidate for justification, the one that God should have justified, that one went home unjustified. And the wrong candidate, the one who should not have been justified, is the one who's now in the right before God. Now, friends, this is the crucial moment for us. This is the make-or-break moment as we read this parable because everything in us, everything in you, I'm, I'm guessing at this moment, wants to find some mechanism to identify the good in the tax collector that tipped the scales so that God preferred him over the Pharisee. We want to find some spark of goodness in him, some moral trait that makes it appropriate for God to have justified him rather than the other. So with this parable, I think if you're anything like me, you say to yourself, well, look, that tax collector must have been, for all of his foibles, for all of his problems, he must have been remarkably humble. I mean, think about the humility and the courage that it took for him, knowing how sleazy he is, to walk into church that Sunday and and sit in the pew with all the good people. Think of the courage. Think of the, the chutzpah that that took. God must have seen that and said, that's deserving of justification. That's deserving of reward. Don't we often try to do this with the Bible? When we see uh, characters who, who receive God's favor, we want to look for some goodness, some, some trait in them that makes them worthy before God. It makes me think of that, that song from the musical, The Sound of Music, where uh, Fräulein Maria is, is trying to figure out why is she so lucky uh, to get to be in this relationship with Captain Von Trapp. And do you remember what she sings? She sings, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. There must be something in me, something that qualifies me, something that God sees as rewardable, that tips the scales in his justice. That, friends, I think would be the wrong way to interpret this parable. So let me give you a different interpretation. I want to suggest this morning that the Pharisee and the tax collector are both alike, equally without hope before God. And the only difference, literally the only difference between these two men is that one of them sees that and the other one doesn't. I like the way Robert Farrar Capon Uh, puts this. He says, the point of this parable is that the Pharisee and the tax collector are both dead, and their only hope is someone who can raise the dead. The Pharisee with his good deeds, 
and the tax collector with his bad deeds are on the same footing. They're equally caught in quicksand. They're in the the same exact dungeon. They have the same exact terminal diagnosis. And literally the only hope that they have is that God might speak a word of mercy to them. And that's what we see in the Gospel of Luke. That's what you've been studying in the Gospel of Luke. The message of the Gospel of Luke is that the kingdom of God, as Jesus says in chapter 10, the, the reign of God, the saving rule of God has come near to you. That's the message. And the point, as the parable ends, of saying that the humble are exalted and the exalted are made humble is not somehow that there's something in the humble that makes them especially rewardable, that makes them especially righteous over against others. No, the point is that the humble are those who recognize their poverty and who despair of having any claim that they could lay on God to be in the right before him. The point of the whole gospel of Luke and the point of this parable, I think, is that God's salvation, the the salvation that Jesus is proclaiming and embodying and, and that he'll die for on Good Friday, is that it doesn't come to us at all on the basis of who we are or what we've done or what we haven't done or what family we come from or what our track record is. None of that matters at all. The only thing that matters is this sovereign outreach of God to save sinners. And Jesus is bringing that and embodying that. I was, I was thinking as I was rereading this parable and thinking about how I might preach it this morning, I was thinking about the movie Silence. And I don't know how many of you have had a chance to see it yet. I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I believe it's out of theaters now, but it should be, should be coming to Netflix or, or Amazon Prime soon. But uh, Silence is based on uh, a novel by the, the Catholic Japanese novelist Shusaku Endo. And it's a novel about uh, two Portuguese Roman Catholic priests from the 17th century who hear a report about uh, one of their fellow priests who's gone to Japan as a missionary, and the rumor is that he's apostatized, he's left the faith. And so these two priests want to go in search of him and try to bring him back. And uh, the story is, is told largely through the perspective of one of these two priests, Father Rodriguez. And um, he arrives in Japan, and, and he finds this frightened group of Christians who are being persecuted by the government authorities, by the samurai. They're huddled kind of in, in secret meetings. They're underground Christians. And Rodriguez is kind to them. He's, he's played by Andrew Garfield in the film. And, I mean, he's exactly the kind of priest you would want. He's, he's compassionate. He's gentle. Um, his face, his demeanor, he exudes tenderness and he's there because he wants to, to be Christ uh, to these Christians. And he gives them the sacrament and he tries to encourage them. And then, on the other hand, there's one of the, the Japanese Christians that the movie focuses on. K- Kijichiro is his name. And Kijichiro uh, becomes the guide for Father Rodriguez. And you could not imagine two more different people. If Father Rodriguez is, is kind and compassionate, uh, Kijichiro is an alcoholic uh, he's someone who, as the movie unfolds, you learn that he's already renounced Christ once to save his own skin. And now he's come groveling back into the Christian community. He wants to be a Christian again. Um, he's, a, he's a waffler. He's a drifter. He's not at all reliable. And he plays the role of Judas, ultimately. He turns Father Rodriguez in to the authorities, and Father Rodriguez goes uh, to prison. And I remember uh, sitting in the theater. I was, I was watching the movie with a friend of mine, and and um, there's a moment where Kijichiro, 
after he's betrayed Father Rodriguez, he feels horribly guilty about it. And he comes to Father Rodriguez's cell, and he's in tears, and he says, I've messed up yet again. Is there any absolution that you can offer me? And I remember sitting there feeling, no, don't do it. <laughs> he's, he's just going to be awful again. He'll, he'll betray you again. He's a traitor. He can't be trusted. And Father Rodriguez offers him that absolution. And I have to say, as, as the movie goes on, I was definitely on Team Rodriguez. Uh, surely if anybody in this movie is justified before God, is in the right before God, it's Rodriguez. He's the one who traveled 7,000 miles from Portugal to Japan. He's the one who's in prison for the cause of Christ. He's the one whom God is, is pleased with. He's the one who's going to go back to his house justified rather than the other. But it's absolutely fascinating to watch the way the movie unfolds because eventually Rodriguez, even very saintly Rodriguez, he stumbles as well. He falls into sin as well. He, he's there in Japan because he wanted to be the hero. He wanted to be the kind of savior that the Japanese people needed. But he ends up caught in the same sin, the same cycle of sin and death that everyone else is trapped in. And, and I love what Alyssa Wilkinson writes in her review of the movie. She says, the genius of this movie is that it will not characterize anyone as a saint. In silence, nobody is Christ but Christ himself. Everyone else is a Peter or a Judas, a faltering rejecter for whom there may be hope anyway. What this movie has accomplished is a close reminder that the path to redemption lies through suffering and that it may not be I who must save the world, so much as I am the one who needs saving. I love that line. Nobody is Christ in this story but Christ himself. Everybody is a failure. Even the people who want to be Christ can't be Christ. Everybody, the morally good, the morally corrupt, the righteous and the traitors, everybody's in need of Christ to be Christ for them. Everybody's in need of the salvation that only Christ can bring. That's the point, friends, of this parable this morning. The Pharisee and the tax collector are alike, as St. Paul says in Romans, under the power of sin, and they're awaiting a redeemer. Luke tells us earlier in Luke's gospel that uh, Jesus went out and and saw a tax collector named Levi, this is chapter 5 in Luke, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus has come to save the unwell. He's come to save sinners. And the righteous, it turns out, is a null set. It's just a prop that Jesus uses in the story. There actually are no righteous. No, not even the most moral of us can save ourselves. Whether we're more like the Pharisee or more like the tax collector, whether we're more like saintly Father Rodriguez or conniving Kijichiro, none of us 
can supply the righteousness that God's demand. No amounts of, of prayer, no amount of missionary work, no amount of sexual purity, no amount of charitable giving, none of that can avail to let us stand in the judgment before God. And no amount of failure can disqualify us from hearing that word that the kingdom has come near and taking it out, taking it for us in faith. That's what Luke wants us to hear today, friends. Nobody is Christ but Christ himself. Nobody is for us like Jesus. If, you, if we were to keep reading in Luke 18, as, as I, I'm sure you will do as you move toward Holy Week, we would read this. Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon, and after they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. That's the key to this parable. In fact, that's the key to the entirety of Luke's gospel. This is a gospel that is focused on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, at which point he will take on all the, the sin of Pharisee and tax collector alike, and he will bear it in his own body, and he will bear it away, and he will rise to offer freely righteousness and salvation and wholeness to every last one of us. And the, the only thing, literally the only thing that he's asking for us is to see that we need that to acknowledge our need for it. I want to close with the lines of one of my favorite hymns, which I think captures the meaning of this parable. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that wherever we find ourselves this morning, whether we feel that we have an exemplary record or a horrible track record, I pray that we would see none of us are beyond the reach of your mercy. Let us not linger and dream of bettering ourselves or making ourselves fit, but let us come to you and freely receive the offer of life that you give us in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection on our behalf. We pray in his name. Amen.